There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. On this episode of Newt's World, my guest today was an elementary school teacher up until July 14th of this year, when she resigned her position teaching in Manchester Public Schools in Connecticut over an excessive focus on race. In the last year, Jennifer and her co-workers were asked to track their daily activities as part of equity training for the district. They were required to fill out a daily racial reflection timeline that included the following instructions. Quote, first, list as many actions as possible of your regular daily routine, starting with immediately after you wake up until you return to bed at the end of your day. Second, after completing your timeline, reflect on how race plays a role in what you have listed. Discussing this with others can help, close quote. They then provided a list of choices of how individuals, both white and non-white, should feel about race as they move through their daily routine. She was also given scripts on how to respond to her students when or if they ask about the Black Lives Matter movement, how to emphasize race and characters in books. Here to tell us more about her experience on the front lines of critical racial theory in the classroom, I am really pleased to welcome my guest, Jennifer Tafuto. Jen, Thank you for joining me today. And, you know, I realize that you were a teacher in elementary school in Manchester, Connecticut, just east of Hartford. Before we get into what actually happened, what got you interested in wanting to teach in the beginning? And what grade were you teaching? 
Thanks for having me, Mr. Speaker. I appreciate you inviting me here. I always wanted to be a teacher. I was a fourth generation teacher. My mother taught for 35 years before retiring just recently to watch my daughter full time. And my grandparents and their parents were teachers. So it's always something that's been in my blood and something that I've always been interested in. I consider myself a lifelong learner. So for me, I always wanted to share my love of learning with my students. And I was really excited to be able to jump into that career right after college. So you received your bachelor's from the University of Virginia and a master's degree in education from John Hopkins. So certainly your educational credentials are pretty impressive. Thank you. Did you grow up in Virginia or how did you end up at the university? No, I grew up here in Connecticut. I always wanted to go to the University of Virginia. I fell in love with it when I visited and it was really a dream to go there. That's great. Did you spend any time at Jefferson's house? A little bit of time. (laughs) I mean, it's a remarkable place just in terms of his designing it. Beautiful. So when did you start to see equity training getting introduced in your school district? You know, it's hard to pinpoint right when it started happening. I vaguely remember a few years ago. So just some background information. This was only my third year teaching in this district. Prior to this district, I taught in Bridgeport, Connecticut at an upper elementary level, fifth grade. So in Manchester, you know, I remember there were meetings talking about equity and trying to include some of these topics in the classroom, but it really got progressive this past school year. And I was a fully remote teacher this past school year. So it was an interesting dynamic to be teaching from my house to my students and their families at their houses. And having a focus on this topic in light of all of the learning regressions that a lot of students experience. So it was a very interesting year for sure. So you are required to have equity sessions? Yes. With seven and eight-year-olds? I mean, what is an equity session? Yes, it was part of our schedule. We had to include an X amount of time to devote to these lessons that were given to us. So it was two days a week for approximately 40 minutes per day. And what are the sort of things you would do during an equity session? We were given books to read with our students. They were mailed to me since I was home boxes of books that we were reading with our students throughout the year. And there were questions and conversation starters that followed along with the read aloud books. And it was expected that we went through those questions with our students pretty much verbatim. And I mean, how did the students react to this? It was interesting. I had a lot of students where it just went completely over their heads. They're so young. So, you know, if a question came up about, tell me what that black or brown character is doing, how do you think that black or brown character feels? The kids would often remark on the clothes that the character was wearing or what sport he or she was playing, you know, something that had nothing to do with the character's race and making assumptions about injustices. I did, however, have a parent just recently remind me of this, that she had reached out to me in the school year. She was concerned because her daughter was pointing out people's races in a public setting. So it was an interesting dynamic, I guess, where it went over most of their heads. And then I was able to see the implications, as did a parent, that these conversations did have. And 
I remember the parent saying that her daughter said, no, mom, it's okay. I'm allowed to say black and brown people because that's what Mrs. Tefudo says. So you've got examples of how a student's morning routine could be racist, which I think is one of the weirdest parts of this whole experience. How did that work? So that document that the racial timeline was a professional development assignment. So that was not for the students, fortunately. I think that that would have been even further over their heads than anything else. That was something that was given for teachers to complete. It was a very bizarre task that I don't think many people were expecting to complete. So as I understand it, the instruction manual listed examples such as wake up and get coffee, brush teeth and take a shower. Mm -hmm. How is that racist? Your guess is as good as mine. I'm not quite sure. In hindsight, I think it's a little insulting to people of any race to have to think about those things. Now I should worry about whether when I brush my teeth, I'm doing it in a white way or a non-white way. Make sure you're being equitable when you drink your coffee in the morning. And again, this was not for students. This was for teachers. So as part of one of the professional development equity trainings. There was a daily racial reflection timeline given. It says, quote, the purpose of this timeline is to detail your moment-to-moment daily routine in order to investigate how you intentionally consider, subconsciously plan, consciously avoid, or live oblivious to the impact of race in your habits of life, end quote. So some of the examples, there are a lot. So entry narrative examples, three types. A, someone considered non-white who has become aware of how much they consider or center race by doing this timeline. I realized that I set my clock 45 minutes earlier than I will actually get up because if I push snooze more than twice, I will not be scrambling in the morning or late to work. I'm concerned about being late because it could reinforce stereotypes that my racial group are late or not as professional as whites. B, someone considered white who wants to become more aware of how to center race and become more racially considerate. Wow, doing this timeline and reading some books has my looking at how oblivious I've been to race. My cell phone that woke me up, what third world country is in conflict to get the precious metals for its computer components? Who is being exploited or possibly enslaved to get me my coffee beans? Option C, someone who is oblivious to race's impact and wants to avoid centering, considering, or thinking about race at all. I slept well. And that's the sorts of things that they wanted you to do. That was one assignment from a professional development activity, yes, that we were told to complete and reflect on. They were so concerned that you deal with Black Lives Matter in an appropriate way as they defined appropriate that you were actually given pre-scripted responses. If a seven-year-old student asked about or mentioned Black Lives Matter, what were some of the things that they wanted you to say? I will read you the footnote. If BLM is mentioned by students, please refer to footnote. What is the BLM movement? The Black Lives Matter Foundation is an organized movement advocating for nonviolent civil disobedience in protest against incidents of police brutality against Black people. What about other lives? Don't they matter too? Absolutely. However, right now, black men, women, and sometimes children are victims of police violence at a higher rate than other people because of systemic racism. So it's important that we recognize that there is injustice and discrimination in the way our systems value the lives of black people. And that's why it's important to assert that black lives do matter. 
Imagine you are outside playing with a group of friends. While you are playing, you fall down and scrape your knee. Should we give everyone a bandage because everyone matters? Or should we give it to you because right now you need it more than everyone else? We should give you the bandage right now so you can heal. The rest of your friends are okay at the moment and can support you until you are better and ready to play in the same way they can. This is an example of equity, making sure that when someone is at a disadvantage, they receive the help they need. Similarly, it's important that people or groups that are at a disadvantage because of a system or structure that receive more support, and saying Black Lives Matter shows that support. So they literally wanted you to sort of memorize or to learn these kind of answers. They were scripted so that if we ever encounter them, we knew how to address them. It's amazing that this is happening all across the country. That this wasn't just your local school, but in fact, there's an entire nationwide effort led by the teachers unions to bring into the system these kind of thinking. You made a good point. This is certainly not exclusive to Manchester. And my speaking out on this had nothing to do with me trying to take them down by any means or, you know, show them in a bad light. For me, it was all about my students. And that example of, of the Black Lives Matter conversation is just one of many that were extremely uncomfortable and that I don't think was really appropriate for seven and eight-year-olds. It does seem to me leading a discussion with seven-year-olds about Black Lives Matter is, at a minimum is very political and probably isn't among the highest values that the students have. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine tingling shows on AE Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity Voice Remote. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.
you made a very, very big decision. How did you come to the conclusion that this required you to step out of the classroom? Truthfully, I was so uncomfortable with so many meetings and the curriculum that was being pushed on my students. At the end of the day, I've only wanted what's best for my students, and I want them to understand how important they are and that I should not treat them differently because of the color of their skin. So for me, I did make the decision because I didn't agree with the direction of this work has been going. There wasn't one moment in time. There were definitely a few of those prompts that I mentioned before that were hurtful, you know, and I definitely felt like my integrity as a teacher was questioned with them. But overall, it was just a long time coming, I think, with this work. Well, I just know, given what you said earlier about your parents and your grandparents, that teaching is really a deep part of your family tradition. And it must have been a very difficult and challenging decision. It sure was. I hope someday to get back into the classroom, assuming I can teach math and reading and writing, teach my students to respect each other and to come together. But until then, I definitely want to stay involved in education on some level. Just not sure what that looks like at this point. You're speaking out. I'm looking at the list here. It's amazing. The State Education Department, the Connecticut Association of Public School Superintendents, the Connecticut Association of Boards of Education, the Connecticut Association of Schools, the American Federation of Teachers, the Connecticut Education Association got together and issued a joint statement that this was all legitimate? I guess so. I try to stay off from reading these comments and these remarks. It's it's just interesting because it's a sign you must have touched a nerve and you must have really frightened some very powerful people. What was the reaction you got in school? The support that I got from teachers within that district, districts in the state and outside of the state, was overwhelming. It was truly so incredible to hear from so many people thanking me, you know, a lot of people saying that they wish that they could say something, but there's such a level of fear in talking about these conversations. And I think that teachers are really scared of sharing how they truly feel because it could cost them their jobs. In a sense, they're afraid to speak up, even if they deeply disagree. Yes. And of course, when you look at all that list of people piling on, you can see if you were an individual teacher that that's pretty remarkable. It's pretty daunting. (laughs) I have a book coming out in November called Beyond Biden, and we talk about critical race theory. And one of the points I make is that the woke see racism everywhere and feel compelled to call it out. This process is referred to as problematizing. And these are some recent headlines we got from left-wing publications. The unbearable whiteness of hiking and how to solve it. The unbearable whiteness of baseball. How Star Wars reinforces our prejudice. The racism of technology and why driverless cars could be the most dangerous example yet. The grocery store shows us how systemic racism works. Western civilization means classics and white supremacy. Addressing anti-blackness and specialty coffee. That's one I found particularly exciting. How can you take seriously a person who walks up to you and says, specialty coffee illustrates anti-blackness? 
Why is American classical music so white? Systemic racism can't be fixed without tackling it within cycling. Why heterosexual relationships are so bad for us. And the candy industry has a long history of racism that we can't ignore. I mean, these people write these articles seriously. This is not a comedy channel thing. Did you encounter any of this stuff or was that in a different world? No, I think that's definitely a different world. I am a normal person. I actually didn't really see myself as a very political person prior to these conversations injecting themselves in my workplace. So this whole world is very new to me and unfamiliar. And I find it very interesting, but a little bit crazy. (laughs) When you started to talk out about this, what kind of reaction did you get in the teacher's lounge or at lunch in the cafeteria? I think, like I said earlier, teachers are definitely scared to speak out about it. I was fully remote last year, so my interactions with teachers were purely through text messages and phone calls and that type of thing. And they didn't agree with it. They thought it was inappropriate and uncomfortable. But again, no one wants to be labeled or to lose their job. When you did speak out, what kind of reaction did you get from people around the country? Mostly positive, but again, I'm off of social media, so I'm sure there are lots of negative comments as well. And that's okay. I think it's okay to disagree respectfully. I'm all about the respect. The support has been really nice and just reaffirming that it's important to stand by your convictions, especially for me when it comes down to it. I only want what's best for my students and for the future of our country. So for me, that's definitely the most important thing, and I just try to keep remembering that. We discovered that this is happening around the country. A whistleblower uncovered a fifth-grade social studies lesson in Philadelphia that asked students to celebrate the black communist Angela Davis. Students were asked to act out free Angela Davis rallies, demanding that the government release the Black Panther imprisoned on charges of murder, conspiracy, and kidnapping. And in California, third graders were made to, quote, deconstruct their racial identity and rank themselves according to their power and privilege in school. Teachers told students they lived in a dominant culture of white, middle-class, cisgender, educated, able-bodied, Christian English speakers. I'm going to repeat that because they talk a whole language that, frankly, I'm not totally into. White, middle-class, cisgender, educated, able-bodied, Christian English speakers. That's the dominant culture. And that was in California for third graders. I mean, it's strange that across the whole country, you have this surge by the education establishment to get us, in a sense, to brainwash us into things that really are, I think, one, false, and two, very deeply divisive. Very inappropriate for first, second, third, fourth graders. It boggles my mind. But I'm curious, now that you've been through this, what is your advice to other teachers who find themselves in similar situations? I think at the end of the day, I know it's scary to leave a career. I'm terrified still every day and I miss the classroom. But if you truly believe that this work is harmful, then you have to speak up and, you know, They told us in past conversations and equity meetings to lean into the discomfort. 
that was always the headline. So I think it's important to do the same, but out of the situation, lean into the discomfort, talk about why you're uncomfortable with it. If you want what's best for our students and you agree that they were all created equal, then you have to say something and remove yourself. To really understand what's going on, how can parents be aware of what's being taught? I have a sense that a lot of the virtual learning from home, parents were startled by some of the things they saw being taught that they'd never realized when it was being taught in a classroom. But now that they were seeing it in their own home by Zoom or something, they were much more concerned and much more engaged. From your own experience, how can parents be aware of what is being taught in their children's classrooms? That's a great question. I've heard from a lot of parents of all backgrounds in support, which has been much appreciated as well. And I think that there has to be some level of transparency with what's being taught with the curriculum that schools are pushing. And so I actually just was talking to a parent a little while ago who requested all of the equity curriculum lessons from her child's district so that she was familiar with what was going on and could pretty much approve it or not. Although I did also hear that apparently there is a no opt out option for these lessons. So interesting. So given all that, I mean, how do we stop this from happening? I think that's the million dollar question. I think that there just needs to be more people speaking about it and, you know, talking about the implications at the end of the day. I don't think this should be a political issue personally. For me, I think it's an ethical issue. What what would be best for our young children and I think that there just needs to be a lot more conversations about the implications that this could have on our young children, our young students. That's great. Listen, I really appreciate your willingness to talk with us. I realize you have no intention of becoming a public figure, but I think you're helping educate the country and talking with my friends at 1776 Action. They just felt that you had such an important story to tell and had shown so much courage and being willing to stand up and tell it. And I want you to know that I'm personally very grateful both for your courage and for your willingness to help others understand what's going on. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. They've been awesome at 1776. Adam is great. He's such a trailblazer, and I'm so happy to be able to associate with him. Yeah, I think Adam is doing a great job at 1776 Action, and I think he's totally committed to making sure that the facts about American civilization survive and that the kind of biased education we've been talking about does not overwhelm the system. So I'm delighted with Adam's work at 1776 Action, but I'm also delighted that you as a citizen would have the courage and be willing to come and be on the show. So thank you very much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me, Mr. Speaker. Thank you to my guest, Jennifer Tafuto. You can learn more about critical race theory and the work of the 1776 Action on our show page at newtsworld.com. Newt's World is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Debbie Myers, our producer is Garnsey Sloan, and our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Pendley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360 
If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcasts and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, listeners of Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns at Gingrich360.com slash newsletter. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network. Work. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo. Zumo Play.